The Bible is a book full of unsolved mysteries. Are you looking to finally make sense of it all? Join our weekly conversation and think about the Bible like you never have before. Listen, watch, and interact with us at ChristianQuestions.com. You're listening to Christian Questions. Here's Rick and Jonathan. C.S. Lewis once said, Mercy detached from justice grows unmerciful. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. I'm Jonathan. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. Uh, folks, we thank you for joining us today. This is a contact-friendly format, and we welcome your thoughts via email, messaging us at ChristianQuestions.com, Facebook, and our website chat board. So, Jonathan, what is our topic for today? Well, Rick, our question is, what does it mean to be saved? Our theme text is found in Romans chapter 10, verse 13. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Okay, what does it mean to be saved? Fundamental to all of Christianity is the foundational teaching of salvation. The problem is that the actual interpretation of salvation shifts dramatically depending on which denomination or group you belong to. For some, it's speaking words of acceptance and offering a simple prayer. For others, it is belonging to a specific church. And for other groups, it is a gift that will find you whether you seek it or not. So, What is salvation? What are we saved from, and how does it work? Can everyone have salvation? If so, why? And if not, why not? Is salvation offered only now in this life, or is there some way that it can be offered after death and resurrection? And finally, if this teaching is so important, then why does it seem to be so incredibly elusive? So, Jonathan, coming up in today's podcast on all of this, what does it mean to be saved? Christianity, as we mentioned, is all about salvation, but again, what does it really mean to be saved? We're going to take this apart in our next segment, and you're going to be blown away with what we uncover. It's both startling and simple at the same time. In the third segment, we're going to be looking at the 800-pound gorilla in the room. That is exactly what do we get saved from? This is a really controversial part of our conversation, and you're not going to want to miss it. Following that controversy, why not add some more fuel to the fire? Because, you know, Jonathan, that's what we like to do. (laughs) In segment four, we're going to talk about who gets saved. And here's a hint. We think it's a lot more people than most Christians expect. Stay with us to hear our reasons why. But before all of this, let's get started with exactly, uh, with what exactly does someone have to do to, quote, get saved unquote. What, do, what is needed for salvation to take hold in someone's life? So, Jonathan, we're going to get started with that as a general principle, and uh, through the sound bites we're going to play today, folks, we often try to find sound bites that are different points of view from ours. Mm-hmm. And we do that to represent a, a, a difference. Now, obviously, somebody can't you know, defend themselves when we talk about it. So we always try to be very, very respectful as we comment on that different point of view, because obviously there is thinking and reasoning behind it. And we're just going to give you our sense, but give you other perspectives so you see that there's a broad 
a broad picture on this particular subject. So we're going to get started with a, a soundbite from a um, from Inspiration Ministries, uh, and it's from a YouTube video called Jesus Plan of Salvation, and it gives a sense of salvation. Interesting way this all starts. In the beginning, God wanted a family, so he created man and woman. His desire was for a true relationship, not a forced one. God wanted someone to choose to love him, so he gave man and woman a choice. They chose themselves. With this choice, sin was introduced on earth. Sin is any time we miss the mark of perfection and love ourselves more than God or others. Have you sinned? Well, the Bible, God's word to us, tells us that everybody has sinned. So what's the problem? Sin created a separation between man and God. It prevents us from having a true relationship with Him. Something had to be done to bridge the gap. Some people think if you work hard enough, you can make a bridge over the gap to God. But it just doesn't work. The only way to reach God is for God to build the bridge. He did this by sending His Son in the form of a man as Jesus and dying for our sins. All right, and so Jonathan, we just finished saying, you know, a lot of the things that we're gonna you're gonna listen to through the sound bites we're gonna disagree with. What did you think of that one? I I agreed with a lot <laughs> of it, um, most of it. Yeah, I, I liked the way he presented that. You know, and, and I and I agree with you. It, it was a a a sound uh, approach. God wanted mm-hmm. a family. He created humanity. Mankind didn't choose God; they chose themselves. And you know, so and you have this bridge that needs to be created. You can't get to God just by working harder. The the bridge does have to come from the side, be offered from God. So it was actually a really good start, really really good positive start uh, to the idea of discussing what is, does salvation actually mean. So Jonathan, in this first segment, what we want to do is look at some of the common answers for salvation. Okay. Well, Rick, it, it, it's really simple. Okay. Uh, all we need is to accept salvation as a free gift of God, because in Romans 6, 23, that's, that's exactly what it says. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So you're, That's all we need. Okay, so you're saying you just accept this free gift and you've got salvation. It's that simple. That's what Romans 6.23 says, Rick. You're right. That is what Romans 6.23 says. But let's take a look at another set of scriptures and just see if that is really all that we need. Well, it's also really simple um, that all we need is the redemption of Jesus' blood because in Romans, uh, the Apostle Paul is continuing with his teaching. Romans 3.23 and 24, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption, which is in Christ Jesus. So all we need, Rick, is the redemption of Jesus' blood. Okay, so here's the problem, though. The first scripture, it was all we need is the free gift. Right. And, and it sounds like that free gift is presented. And now you're saying all we need is the redemption. Jesus had to do something to create that free gift. That's what Romans 3 says. Okay, so it's a little bit different. It, it's not just as simple as that Romans 6 scripture then, is it? Well, no, but, but here, here's another one. This, this is, it's really simple as far as Romans 10. All we need to do is call upon the name of Jesus. And, and it says it in Romans 10, 12 through 13. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, 
For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. So all we need, Rick, is to call upon the name of Jesus. Okay, now, 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 time out. Because you started out with, all we need is to accept a free gift. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. you said, well, wait, wait, that's not quite all we need. What all we need is, is to have the redemption of Jesus' blood. Right. But then you said, well, wait, wait, but that's not all. But now you have to do something. So, so, Jonathan, which is it? You've got three different all we needs here. I know, and it's really simple, Rick, because there's another all we need. <laughs> and that's in Romans 10, 12 through um, Romans 10, 9. All we need is to confess Jesus and believe in our hearts, and we're saved. Listen to this, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's, it's that simple, Rick. Okay, but but it's not that simple because you have four it's that simples. And so we've got to figure out, well, what do you need for salvation? Which is it, right? <laughs> yeah, well, which is, are you done or is there more? <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> it's really simple, Rick. Okay. <laughs> I'm not done. Okay. All we need is repentance and faith. We find that in Mark 1, uh, verses 14 and 15. Now, after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So it's simple, Rick. All you need to do is repent, repentance and faith. Okay. So here, here's the point, folks. The, the, the purpose of that exercise was to try and illustrate that too often we take a scriptural phrase and say, this is it. And you gave us one, two, three, four, five different scriptural phrases that apparently all each say, this is it. But they are different, Rick. They're all different. And they're all it. But each individually isn't. So we have to back up. Folks, here's the thing about understanding salvation. If you really want to get what the Bible says salvation is and how it works. We have to back up a little bit and take a look. And Jonathan, you know, I'm going to ask you, what's my favorite word? <laughs> it's context. <laughs> and, and, and the reason is that unless we take these individual phrases, which showed us five different all-you-needs, unless we take them in their context— we're not going to understand what they are saying. And, Jonathan, when you think, you, you, a lot of the verses you quoted were from Romans. Most of them mm-hmm. actually were from Romans. And then one was from Mark. Right. Uh, and there's loads of other verses. We just chose these, these five particular verses. But he, here's the thing. You know, who, when, when you look at the, the compilation of the, the Gospels and then the letters in the New Testament, who, who is that written for? Rick, it is written for footstep followers of Jesus. It is written for those that are going to give their lives a sacrifice to follow in his footsteps. So these are true Christians that are serving God and doing his will from their hearts. So the words, now, can an average person learn a whole bunch of stuff from all of this? Yes, absolutely. So what's the difference? The difference is, that the person to whom it is written should be able to see it in the bigger context. 
the person to whom it is not written, they'll see a phrase or a line and say, aha, that's what it is. But the answer is no, 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 no. There's more. How do you know there's more? Because you quoted four different scriptures from four different parts of Roman. Rome, Romans 6, Romans 3, Romans 10, uh, and two, two from Romans 10. And each of those said something a little different. Well, to the Roman Christian, putting in the context of the rest of the letter to which that was written to them, it would have made so much more sense. And they would have understood that that one phrase is not all that you need. And that's why you love context, Rick. Because we don't get the mind of God unless we see the context in which he displays it for us. And the context is the letters and where they lived and when they lived and what they knew and what they were learning. Those are all the really important things here. Uh, Jonathan, just a, a, quick, uh, a quick comment from um, our Facebook group. There was a couple of comments that we're going to touch on about being saved. One individual says, saved equals rescued. And we're actually going to get into this in the, in the next segment. In a flood, if God sent you a boat to rescue you from the rooftop, you are rescued if you accept his means of salvation. There are two parts. The first provision made, the boat, and subsequently the acceptance and making use of his provision. In other words, getting in the boat. If, after accepting God's provision, you jump out of the boat, you're lost and you drowned. You know, and that's kind of an interesting, simplistic way of looking at it. There's different pieces to the idea of salvation here. So all of those all-you-needs are actually part of what you need. And that's what we want to establish when we look at how salvation really works. And here's the thing. Even the faith portion is by God's grace only. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. So, you know, in, in that scripture, you look at it and say, wow, there's not a lot that you do. Well, there is a lot that you do, because one of those other previous verses says you have to believe, you know, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. Believing in your heart, Jonathan, is not an emotional thing. It is a conviction. And there's an enormous difference between the emotion of what a lot of us look at and say, oh, we believe because I feel it, but versus a belief in your heart that convicts you to live in a specific way. Even the faith portion has God's grace written all over it. And then another scripture that helps to put salvation into this, into this, into this uh, big area that, that sometimes we get confused, in Romans 8, 38 and 39, it says, no enemy can ever take this gift from us. Let, read, read that for us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, you know, the, the idea is the, the apostle saying, you know, nothing can separate us from, from the love of God. You know, and that's true, but folks, if we separate ourselves from the love of God, then we are separate from the love of God. That's and, right. And so we have to be careful. When we look at the subject of salvation, all of those all-we-need statements are statements that different denominations and groups take and say, this is the thing, this is the thing, this is the thing, this is the thing, and this is the thing. And the thing is, they're all the thing, and then other things. Salvation is not that simple. It's not that easy to get to. We have to dig to truly, truly find it. But Jonathan, once you do a little digging, and you open up your mind to the context of scriptures, it does become 
much simpler. So we need to be solving the riddle of salvation as we go through this podcast. So what's our solving salvation conclusion for this first segment? Well, Rick, there is more to salvation than any one of these scriptures tells us. To understand and experience it, we need to see how these scriptures fit into the bigger picture. So this is the introduction to say, yes, you do need to accept it as a free gift from God. It is the redemption of Jesus' blood. You do need to call upon the name of Jesus. You need to confess and believe. You need to have repentance in your heart. You need to realize that God's grace is there, and you need to realize that once given it, if we stay with it, it's going to stay with us. And then there's even more. So you see, it is easy to see why salvation can be so confusing. Many opinions, and at first glance, they all look really good. Because salvation is such a big part of Christianity, we need to ask, what are we being saved from? Learning about your hosts is always a good thing. Rick and Jonathan both love studying the Bible and sharing their thoughts with you every week. Did you know they've been doing this program for over 20 years? It started as a radio show in 1998. We moved to an exclusive podcast in 2016 and have enjoyed talking to all our listeners all over the world. Plus, these guys are best friends and longtime students of the Bible. That's part of why our Christian Questions team of volunteers and listeners feel like it's a big family. Talk to us anytime and hear over a thousand archive programs at ChristianQuestions.com. Now, let's get back at it. What's next, Rick? Here is where we need to, again, be careful to respond according to Scripture, which unfortunately oftentimes means not responding according to denominational traditions. By grasping the magnitude of what we are saved from, we can better appreciate the complete sacrifice of Jesus. So, Jonathan, this segment is important because it really comes down to the whole idea of, okay, salvation is there and all that, and everybody recognizes it, but you got to ask the question, what are we saved from? Now, before we get into that actual conversation, let's go back to Inspiration Ministries. That first soundbite that we played, we both like, hey, that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's hear how that concludes. And then as soon as we finish that, I'm just going to ask you what you thought of it. Okay, he just okay. We, we, let's listen. Why did he have to die? Because the punishment for sin is death. God's one and only Son, Jesus, stepped in for us and took our sin on himself. And by doing this, he set us free and bridged the gap to a full relationship with him. That is what the love of God is. It's not judgment. It's not condemnation. He loves you with absolutely no conditions. Nothing you could do could ever win or lose the love of God. All you have to do to be saved is accept it. Ask for it. God says everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You can have the real loving relationship with God that he always wanted. So, what do you think? Well, um, I see it uh, differently now that he concluded his thoughts. Uh, Even starting off, he says his one and only son. We did a program on angels, and there are many sons of God in the heavenly realm. Uh, So God's family spiritually is a large family, Mm -hmm. and and that's a good thing. But um, 
there is much more to it um, than than his simplistic uh, conclusion. You know, and that simplistic conclusion really sounded like one of the all you needs in it the did. first segment. And yeah. and that's part of, of going through this. Sometimes we take one of those all you needs and we sort of raise it to the top and above the others. And what we need to do, folks, is we need to look at the scriptures in the context of the big picture, to whom they were written, understanding what they understood, and the whole truth will come through. So let, let's get started trying to work through this. Well, Rick, the actual word for save and salvation, they're very general. Okay. Now, save means to save, that is deliver or protect, and that's literally or figuratively. Okay. To, to, so the word for save is a simple word, to, to save, to deliver, or to protect. And it can be literal or figurative. Let's go to just a few of the uses of that word for save. It's used many times. It's, it's you know, like 110 times in the New Testament. Matthew one twenty one is a good example. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Okay, he shall save his people from their sins. And that's a kind of a typical way that we use, look at that word. Um, Matthew 8.25. Now that's, 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 you know, saving... I guess you can say that's somewhat literal, but you got a lot of the figurative, save them from their sins. You know, you're rising them up to a different level. Matthew 8, 25. And his disciples came to him and awoke him saying, Lord, save us, we perish. Now that's really talking about very physical, we're about to drown. Yes. (laughs) Don't let us. (laughs) Exactly. Okay, that's about as literal and physical as you can get. Next one, and these are just three examples, three different uses of that word, and we're, and we're, we're doing this to illustrate that the word is used many different ways. Matthew 9, 21. For she said within herself, if I may touch, but touch his garment, I shall be whole. I didn't hear saved in there. The word whole is this, the word for saved. Okay, so if I but touch his garment, I will be delivered. delivered. Yes, delivered. So you can see it's used in a lot of different ways. It's a general word. And so we need to understand the specific meaning of that general word. What about the word for salvation? Well, Rick, that's a, a very general word, too. It means to rescue or safety physically or morally. Okay. All right, and again, that, that word is used, you know, 40-plus times in the New Testament. Let's look at a couple of examples there. Acts twenty seven thirty four. Wherefore, I pray, you take some meat, for this is for your health, for there shall not an hair fall from your head of any of you. I didn't hear anything about salvation in there. And this is really odd. They translated the word health as salvation. Okay, this is for your health, for your rescue, for your safety, to, to build you up, okay? For not a hair from your, will fall from your head. So again, the word doesn't always mean, you know, salvation in the, in the spiritual sense, very, very right. definitely. What about Romans 1.16? For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And that's just the way we typically think about it. The point is, they're like you said, Jonathan, they are simple words that don't have this deep, profound meaning, but they're very general. Yes. So we need to get specific with words that are very general. And you only do that by looking at Scripture and taking those Scriptures in their proper context. Another, just interesting to, to open up, because we really want to talk about you know what we're saved from, 
Um, but another comment from our Facebook group, uh, it says, and, and this, I really appreciate this comment, it says, the problem with the word saved is that it has come to be understood by many as being saved from an eternity of burning in hell. Now, that is not biblical. And that is an interesting point. And it is a very, very relatively, a relative point and a very, very true point. The mm-hmm. burning hell is not biblical. We've done loads and loads of podcasts on that. But many people are fearing that it does yes. exist. Yes. Unfortunately, they've been misguided. Okay, so let's ask the question. What are, saved from what? Well, Rick, from a death that has no resurrection. Let's take a look at 1 Corinthians 15, 21 through 22. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. So Rick, this is the answer. All will be made alive from death, a resurrection. Okay, so we had the original sentence of death. You know, we could say, okay, well, Jonathan, you're just taking that one verse, you know, and Rick's, you know, pounding it on your head about context. But think about this. When Adam sins, it's about you sin, you will die. Yes, death. So what this is doing is this referring back to the original sin and saying, since by a man, Adam, death comes. By a man, Jesus resurrection comes that's what we're saved from and i like the way you said it you originally you said we're saved from a death that has no resurrection so unless the gift of jesus sacrifice is in place death in adam is permanent that's right exactly that is what we're saved from let's look at second corinthians 2 15 and 16 For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing, to the one an aroma from death to death, to the other an aroma from life to life. And who is adequate for these things? Now, now, Rick, this is a strange (laughs) phrase. Yeah, it is. What, What does this mean, an aroma from death to death and an aroma... From life to life. Yeah, you're right. This is a this is a kind of almost like a poetic verse in some ways. It is. We're a fragrance. Now, just think about the idea first of all of the uh, sacrifices and offerings of the Old Testament. Many times with those sacrifices, it would say it would lifted an aroma up to God. That's okay. right. That's so, right. The smoke, the the smell. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. So you've got that sense that's behind this verse. We are a fragrance of Christ to God just like those Old Testament sacrifices, among those, who are, among those who are involved in salvation, those who are being saved, and we'll talk about that soon, and, and among those who are perishing. So there are those who are being saved, and there are those who are not being saved. Okay? That's what it says, yeah. To one, it's an aroma from death to death. And you say, well, what are you talking about, death to death? Well, think about it. Being born in sin, Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. Mm-hmm but the gift of God is eternal life. So from death to death, remember when Jesus said to that one follower, you know, he says, follow me, and he says, oh Lord, let me bury my, my, my father. Let the dead bury the dead. Right. You're living in death. So it, when it says from death to death, it's living the sentence of death to actually achieving, what a great achievement, right? The sentence of death. From the other aroma is from life to life. And that is the, 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 the aroma. Remember when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus? 
And he said, unless a man be begotten again, that's life. The apostles of Pentecost, they received the Holy Spirit. That's life. From life to life, the end result of the begetting of the God's Spirit is immortality. So what he's saying is, we are a fragrance showing the world that it's on a wrong path, and for those who are saved, they're showing the right path. One brings life, and the other brings death. And it's interesting, it doesn't say from death to torment. It says no, from it death <laughs> to death. Good point, Rick. So we're, what do we save from? A death that has no resurrection. And you know, people can say, well, is that all? Well, think about this. How, That's it. <laughs> yeah, You're done. <laughs> how precious life is, how precious life can be if we allow it to be by, by, by uh, applying righteousness to it. Imagine life in a godly way where God blesses all and everyone. That's a life you would never want to let go of. Mm-hmm. And so when you say, well, yes, you're, you, that's what you're saved from, you know, you've got to think about the, the incredible value of life. So we're saved from a death without resurrection because of sin. W- what else is built on that, Jonathan? Well, uh, we're saved from the broken systems and thinking of a sinful world. And that's kind of like from death to death, like we just talked about. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 1, 18 and 19. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Okay, so now in the last two verses, Jonathan, there's a theme about those who are saved and those who are perishing. Right. So it really looks like you're saying, okay, there's a group that are saved and a group that are not. It sounds like there's two different groups, but I think we're, we're going to be building on this answer as we go, aren't we? So what you're telling me then is my conclusion shouldn't be a conclusion until... Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> okay, but you, but you, you agree, though. There's two different groups... Definitely. And one of them is obviously being talked about as saved in the Mm -hmm. present tense. Absolutely. And the other is talked about as perishing in the present tense. Yes. Okay. Okay. Let's take that. What do we do with it? What do we save from, again, from a death that has no resurrection? The way to this salvation, like you just suggested, does have two different paths. First, there's a hard road for believers, and that road is is in place now, and that road is the road of the saved of the previous two verses. Let's look at Matthew seven thirteen and 14. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small, and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Okay, so, you know, this thing about two groups really keeps coming up, doesn't it? It it does. And in this example, Rick, I'm noticing those that are on the save category are a small number compared to those that find destruction, the broad road that leads to to death. Okay, actually, that's a good observation. You've got this broad way, you know, it's like the six-lane highway that leads to destruction. And many, it says, it's very specific, many go down that road, probably really fast. And then the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few 
who find it. So you got to say, okay, so if God's plan is to is for salvation, to save from a death from which there is no re- resurrection, is his plan to save just those few? Because Jesus himself is saying, there are few there be that find it. Is that God's big plan for salvation? Or is that not a complete statement yet? Let's look a little further. The second phase, the road that leads to destruction, there are other verses that come into play to help put this into a little bit better perspective. We're going to need to develop this as we figure out about who's saved and who's not saved as we go through the rest of the podcast. 1 Corinthians 15, 23 and 24. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, after that, those who are Christ's at his coming. Then comes the end, when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, when he has abolished all rule and all authority and power. So this is saying each in their own order. Well, Rick, this is interesting. This is bringing out that salvation has different phases to it. At least that's what I'm drawing from it. So each in his own order. Christ is first. And obviously Jesus was the first raised from the dead and ascended on into, into heaven, you know, on, on Pentecost and so forth. It says Christ, and then it says the first fruits. So based on the scriptures that we've read, it's reasonable to assume, and we'll we'll be able to prove this a little bit further in, in a few minutes, but it's reasonable to assume that the first fruits would be those who are presently saved that we've been reading about in the last three or four verses. That that made sense to me as we read that, yeah. So you've got Christ, the first fruits, and that's all of those that are called out. And then it says, after that, those who are Christ's at his coming, at his second advent, when his kingdom is established in the earth. Now, unfortunately, the rapture comes to mind when you read that. Um, and I don't really like how the rapture is portrayed by, by uh, many Christians, but it is showing a different time element for followers of Christ, that there will be a time when several will be raised at his coming um, near the end of the gospel message. Yeah, and, and, and see, here, here's what I think we're, we're seeing. We're seeing that there, there, there are phases to the resurrection, and there are phases to being saved. And because you have these different phases to being saved, we have to understand that we've got to put it all in order, scripture by scripture. So this is some groundwork. We're going to have to develop this a whole lot further uh, in the next segment. So what, what's, our, what's our solving salvation point for this segment? Biblical salvation through Jesus is being pulled from the clutches of certain and permanent death and being given an opportunity for life everlasting. Okay. Biblical salvation comes through Jesus, and it's from certain never-ending death and it gives you opportunity for life. That's a very general statement that's going to have to be narrowed down and focused in on as we go through and, be, and, and continue to develop this whole conversation. So salvation really is a simple matter of life and death, though the two phases can raise some questions. Wait a minute. How can salvation come in two different ways if it only comes through Jesus? Do you feel disconnected at your local church? 
Are you struggling to find a good church or a pastor you like in your local area? We hope you're finding our podcast helpful as you take the next steps in your Christian walk. We're not here to replace the brick-and-mortar ministry, but Christian Questions can be considered as the new way to think about church because we're cutting through all the online commentary noise with a deep dive into traditional scriptures and how they apply in today's seemingly untraditional world. Thanks for listening at ChristianQuestions.com, through our app, and your favorite podcast channels. Keep your great comments coming. We always welcome your feedback. Now, back to Rick and Jonathan as we go deeper in our discussion. All right, let, let's be abundantly clear. Salvation does only come through Jesus and as a result of his sacrifice. The beauty of the biblical meaning of salvation settles in when we realize that it truly is available for all of humanity. Now, we talked about those who are perishing, but for all of humanity, but in different ways and at different times. Salvation actually begins by invitation only. So we're making statements that we're going to need to back up with Scripture, Jonathan, because it's like, wait a minute, what are you saying? Everybody, but it begins by invitation. What are you talking about? That'll be interesting. Well, that's the point. (laughs) Hopefully it will be. And the big point is, let's make it scriptural. Okay, so before we get into that, uh, we're going to go to a um, soundbite from uh, the... the, uh, it's a Catholic Church uh, site, uh, Ken Yasinski, I'm sorry for the pronunciation. Ken Yasinski is, uh, is the individual uh, speaking about Roman Catholic salvation, three things taught by the Catholic Church. And again, we're, we're just presenting to you different perspectives of how salvation works from different viewpoints. Number three, obedience to what God has commanded of us. We can't live our life in the way that we feel is right. We must live in accordance to what has been revealed as right. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So we look to the church Jesus established, the Catholic Church, to teach us Jesus' commandments so that we could keep them. Now, does God love us unconditionally? The answer is yes. But does that mean God offers us unconditional salvation? Well, the answer is no. He has revealed that baptism, confession of serious sin, and obedience to His commandments, which are subsisting fully in the Catholic Church, are necessary to cooperate with the grace of salvation. Okay, so Jonathan, when we, when we listen to that, obviously we're not Catholic, so we're no. going to take issue with that particular point uh, in a big way. Yeah, I... I... I would um, look at the commandments of God's word, focusing on the word and what it is telling us to do to follow in Jesus' footsteps, not a group uh, following a group. Yeah, and, and you know, they, they, they put a very, very large emphasis on the church itself. They yeah, put a they very large emphasis on baptism and, and then obedience to what is right and, and what you're saying is what is right according, in accordance with Scripture. Right. So, you know, again, you take the good with the bad from a, from a soundbite like that. There's things that we're going to agree with, a few here and there. There's several that we're not going to agree with. But what mm-hmm. we want to do is say, that's a different perspective. And we yes. want to be respectful about that other perspective and say, it's out there. Lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of people adhere to it. And you've got to respect that. We just see the scriptures as different. So let's try to prove why we see them differently. Salvation by invitation. This shows us that you have to be drawn. 
John 6.44. This is really important. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. So... You know, this this kind of flies directly in 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 the in the face of the first. Remember the first soundbite that said, "There's nothing you can do. Basically, salvation is going to find you." You know, this says that God has to draw you for this salvation by invitation. And I look at it as a call, a calling to follow His Son Jesus, to learn of Him. To, to grow and be like him. So if God sees something in your heart that, that he can work with, he'll do that drawing process. Okay. All right. So you've got to be drawn. Now, again, we're, we're suggesting that there are two primary roads to salvation. The first is salvation by invitation. God has to draw us. What is the next point of salvation by invitation? Well, it shows us that most are not drawn, Rick, and that is the clear intention of God. So now that sounds weird. <laughs> you know, God, you're telling me that God is on purpose not drawing most of the human race. That's what I'm saying based on John twelve thirty six through 40. Okay, let's read it. While you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke, and he went away and hid himself from them. But though he had performed so many signs before them, yet they were not believing in him. Okay, let's stop right there. Jesus is basically telling those that he is preaching to and demonstrating uh, the miracles of God through God's Spirit to, he's saying, while you have the light, you've got to believe in the light. He's saying, I am the light. You know, I am the light of the world. I mean, basically, that's what he's saying. Sure. And he's saying, and it's interesting, he said, even though he performed so many signs before them, yet they weren't believing. And you think, why wouldn't they believe if they're seeing these amazing things that nobody else had ever done on the scale? I mean, you know, Elijah healed a person here and there, and Elisha did a little bit of this here and there. But nobody, nobody did what Jesus did. Why would they not believe? Well, the verse explains it, doesn't it? It answers the question. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah, the prophet, which he spoke. Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason, they could not believe. For Isaiah said again, he has blinded their eyes and has hardened their heart so that they would not see with their eyes and perceive with their heart and be converted. And I heal them. So what you have there is uh, showing that there would be tremendous doubt in terms of, of accepting of Jesus. And that's how God desired it to be. Because of that drawing process in the scripture before it, he's selecting by invitation certain individuals at this time. So... You know, you make that sound so rare, the way you said that. And it is. It is so rare. And, and that's the unusual thing about salvation, is, you know, you have the sense that few there be that find it. You know, there's just a few in relation to the masses of humanity. And you think, why would God do this? Well, because the plan's not over yet. Okay? Stay with us. One more salvation by invitation um, scripture. And what is this one going to show us? 
Well, Rick, it's going to show us that the drawing is purposefully selective. And what's the verse? Matthew eleven twenty five and 26. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. So Jesus is praying and saying, thank you. And, and Jonathan, here, here's the great patting, on, uh, patting of yourself on the back. <laughs> because here's, here's what this verse is saying. Jesus is saying to, to, to the Father, thank you for hiding these things from the wise and intelligent of the world and giving them to those that are not so wise and intelligent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you know, the beauty of that is and 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 the apostle paul i think is the one who writes about that later on and he says so that no one will glory in his presence so that the calling the saving now is for those who will always give full credit to god through christ and there's no room for your own pride because your pride there's no room for pride in heaven Satan taught us that lesson. That's for sure. So salvation by invitation shows that you've got to be drawn. Most are purposefully not drawn, and it's selecting, and not necessarily selecting the cream of the crop either. And Rick, it's the call to the church, but not um, the name Catholic Universal. It's call to individuals, a select few, um, not a denomination or a building. It's individuals. Okay. So let's compare that now with the other part of salvation, because there was indication in the previous scriptures that there's two parts. And the second part, there was a lot of, well, they're heading for destruction. They're going to perish. And that's true. However, that's not the end of the story. The next portion of salvation is called salvation by just and merciful inclusion. Just and merciful inclusion. And what does that mean? Well, uh, it means it shows us that all of humanity are included. And how do you know that? Romans 5.18, So then, as through one transgression, there resulted condemnation to all. Even so, through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. So that one verse, and again, you can look at that verse and say, ah, you're taking a verse out of context. You know, you're, you're, you're basing your whole thing on one verse. Next segment, we're going over the entire context of that verse. Okay, so we're introducing it here. But Jonathan, that is a powerful verse because it says, through one, transgression resulted to all being condemned to death. That's right. Through one, there's a result of justification being made right to how many? All men. All. The scale of justice, an equal portion. So salvation here, in the previous verses, it was all about the few, all about mm-hmm. the little bit, all about the ones even that aren't the greatest of intelligence. But now it's saying, but you know what? Another part of salvation has all men involved. That's what Romans 5.18 says. In a few minutes, we're going to go through that entire context, and it is one of the most powerful contexts in the New Testament to prove the point of salvation by just and merciful inclusion. What's our next point, though, on this salvation by just and merciful inclusion? What does it show us? Well, it shows us the vast plan of God for all of his human creation. We find that in 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 6. First of all, then, I urge 
that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. Now, this is kind of interesting, because, because the apostles is saying, you know, you know, keep in mind those who are in authority in this world, and, you know, pray that if it's God's will, you can lead a tranquil, quiet life of godliness. These, aren't these the ones that are destined to perish? They are. <laughs> yes. <laughs> You're so right. why would you pray for them? Well, A, that God would overrule that we could be able to be faithful as, as, as we possibly can under their rule in this particular world. Sure. But then there's more to it. Now let's read, and we're in 1 Timothy chapter 2, let's read now verses 3 through 6. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. Now this, Jonathan, this scripture is incredibly important. Again, look carefully at how it reads. It's good and acceptable in the sight of God. He desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. You notice the order of that? It, yeah, he, he desired them to be saved first and then later come to the knowledge, Rick. Right. Now, with the few, remember the verses we started with? Believe on the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved. You know, accept him, you know, uh, uh, um confess him with your mouth and believe in your heart. It was acting first, saved second. Right. This is saved first, understanding later. It's a completely different order. How can that be? Because the different parts of salvation work differently. That To me, Jonathan, that is an amazing, an amazing thought. So this part of salvation is God's desire. There is not a calling attached to this, this part. The order, saving and then knowing the truth, whereas for the Christian, it's believe first and then be saved. And Rick, I loved how the verse ended, the testimony given at the proper time. Well, at the end of the gospel call, um, the good news uh, that of great joy, which will be to all people, we remember that from Linus, from Snoopy uh, Chris. <laughs> Uh, that's we, we have that privilege of sharing salvation to all, just like the angels told the shepherds that there is something special here that God had planned from the start that's now being revealed. So let's not forget the first part as we talk about the second part. The scriptures support both, but they're different. They're in at, at different times, and there's a, a slightly different, well, not a slightly, there's a dramatically different pathway for each. Again, we go back to that scripture where Jesus says, the narrow road, and few there be that find it. That's the road that describes the calling out of the footstep followers of Jesus. But salvation, by just and merciful inclusion, says that everybody who was affected by the sin of Adam is given the opportunity for justification for life everybody and we have to realize that it's written in scripture so you got to put it where it belongs and you got to figure out where it belongs to be able to put it where it belongs and you can't figure out where it belongs until you go over more of the scriptures 
So our next Salvation by Just and Merciful Inclusion shows us what? It shows us that those invited are specially privileged, Rick. 1 Timothy 4.10 reads, For it is for this we labor and strive, because we have fixed our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. Okay. So wow, that's beautiful. The savior of all men, there you have the the just and mercy part, but especially believers, you have that salvation by invitation. So in those two lines of scripture, they are reiterating the conclusions that we've been working with. Salvation by invitation, especially of believers. Salvation by just and merciful inclusion. God the savior of all men. So they're both scriptural. And when it says especially of believers, you got to think that, okay, th- th- there's a salvation with, that, that has special parts to it, but the others are not excluded from salvation. They just don't have those special parts. So this gives us a sense that there are different pieces to this gift called salvation. And it really, really, really becomes exciting to look at this and say, whoa, whoa, there's got to be... There's got to be even more to this. And yes, there's, we'll wait to the next segment. Okay, so Jonathan, what's, what's, our, what's our solving salvation point for this segment? Well, Rick, the salvation of the called out faithful ones has a present cost and leads to a higher and privileged way. The salvation of the world leads to a legitimate opportunity for life. Okay, so we're looking at the cost now versus the opportunity later in the two aspects of salvation. So now the mechanics of salvation are beginning to fall into place. The best part is everyone has a chance. How can both things be true? Is this the acceptable day of salvation from 2 Corinthians 6? Sometimes our questions and commentary can get complicated. That's part of having a thorough discussion. We'd love to hear your opinion. Contact us now at ChristianQuestions.com. Comment through Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or our app. Just when you thought we may be figuring this out, let's get more complicated. We are unequivocally saying that salvation as the Bible defines it is far bigger and far more comprehensive than most Christians believe. This is provable when we look closely at some of the scriptures that go into the details of explaining how all of this works, including 2 Corinthians chapter 6. So, Jonathan, as we go through and and begin to unravel this all in in this particular segment, we really are going to be focusing on um, the, the what is salvation, when does it happen? And and Rick, uh, the question, you know, that that comes to mind, 2 Corinthians 6. Are you saying that this is that uh, acceptable day of salvation? So is this... Right here and now, is this... Is this the day of salvation? That's your your question. That's my question. Okay, I'm not going to answer you. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Not yet, not yet. A little more groundwork, and we're going to get to the answer a little bit later, just a few more minutes in this podcast. In this segment, rather, because this is really important, folks. And this isn't a scripture. Jonathan, you're quoting a scripture that's very plain that says, behold, now is the day of salvation. So it's like, well, what are you going to do with that? Well, let's look at Bible context and get to that scripture. Let's unravel the mystery of salvation in two pieces. Remember that we were suggesting two pieces to salvation. Let's go back to Romans 5. Let's look at verses 15 through 19 
And Jonathan, I'm going to like be your worst nightmare and interrupt you all the time on this. <laughs> but the free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one, the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. Okay, let, let's pause there after verse 15. So it says, by the transgression of one man, who's the one man? It would be Adam. The many died. Who are the many? Well, every man, woman, and child that was ever born in Adam. Okay. <laughs> That's so, all. So the many means every man, woman, and child. That's right. Okay. So then it says much more grace of God comes by Jesus that abounded to whom? The many. Again, same phrase. Same phrase. So Every man, woman, and child. So in Romans 5.15, the implication is every single person who is touched by sin is covered by Jesus. That's, as, that's exactly how I, I see it. Okay, yeah. let's do verse uh, 16. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned, for on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions resulting in justification. Okay, so now Paul, the apostle, is saying that you have, on the one hand, judgment came from one sin. Yes? Yes, Adam's sin. Right, absolutely that first sin of disobedience. That's yes. what we need salvation from. But has there been maybe one or two sins since? <laughs> <laughs> maybe three, what? <laughs> uh, so many you can't count. <laughs> you can't, and that's why he says, on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions resulting in justification. What it's saying is Jesus covers all sin. He canceled that first one and therefore covers the rest of them. That is really, really important. Verse 17. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. So here is the first part of salvation. You know, salvation to whom? To the called out ones. This is saying those who receive the abundance of grace will reign in life. Key word there is reign. Reign like a king, reign, okay? Will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. So that's showing us the limited promise to the called out ones, like you were saying before, one here, one there, footstep followers of Jesus. That's the first part of salvation. And then the apostle shows us the next part of salvation in verse 18. So then, as through one transgression, there resulted condemnation to all men, even so, through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. So you see how in verse 17, it narrows down the called out ones. In verse 18, it says, but everybody else is included. But you see, there's a difference. So here is the universal application to all of the human race. Everybody. And you know, this one isn't as, as mystical, if you will, as the previous one, because it says the many in, in Romans 5.15. And you right. can say, well, you can have an argument. Well, who are the many? And you really can't, but you can try. <laughs> but in verse 18, it says all, all men. All men suffered as a result of Adam's sin. All men have justification as a result of Jesus' sacrifice. The same all men. So if every human being suffered because of sin, therefore salvation must be applied 
to every human being. And let's go to verse 19. For as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. Salvation for all. That's the way we see it. The scriptures are very clear. You know, we, we, we're, we're, we're laying the groundwork to say, okay, it covers everybody, but then there's a group to which it is very special. So let's take a look now. Let's go to a different soundbite. This is from Paul Washer. Uh, what is salvation in two minutes? And we're actually going to listen to 49 seconds of it. And he presents his perspective very clearly, I think, in this. And of course, you know, the background music helps and all. But he's a very, very eloquent speaker in terms of, you know, presenting what his, his passionate views of Scripture are. At this moment, God commands all men to repent and believe that today is the day of salvation, that you are to flee from the wrath to come, to flee from the law of Moses that condemns you into the city of refuge who is Jesus Christ our Lord. Run to Him. Repentance is simply giving up to stop fighting against God and to stop attempting to gain your own salvation through your own works, to literally give up and fall upon Christ. That is salvation. So that you say, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. You know, and th- there's a lot of inspiration in that. You know, you, you hear that and you say, you know, and, and it gives you, it touches your heart. But, you know, it's interesting. He said that, you know, God is declaring to all men that they should everywhere should repent and believe. Those were the words that he spoke. He was actually, I think, quoting from the scripture in Acts 17 uh, where the Apostle Paul speak on Mars Hill. But he doesn't say believe in that verse. He simply says repent. Just a side point. I'm going to come back to that in just a minute. Okay. And also, when we read Mark 1, uh, verse 15, it does say, repent and believe in the gospel, uh, is one of the verses we started off with. Right, right. Now, that repent and believe was spoken by Jesus to those he was calling to follow him. Yes, that's so true. Okay. So, there's a difference between those that Jesus called to follow him and those who just were left on the side. Okay, so we're going to get to that. So what's what's the big question? Well, the big question, is this the acceptable day of salvation from 2 Corinthians? I'm still waiting to hear your answer. Okay, let's start to focus in on it then. Let's go to, not that scripture yet, but let's go to 2 Peter 3, 9. We're going to build the case for how this all fits together. The Lord is not slow about his promise. As some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. So, you know, it's interesting. It says that God is is not wanting anyone to perish, but wants all to come to repentance. If salvation were just now, just right now, and so few were being saved, how is God's desire working out for him? It would look like a failure, yeah. actually, Rick. And, and, and we know God doesn't fail. <laughs> right, you know, and, and that's, it's so simply put, this is, that could not be the plan of God, because if God wants everyone to come to repentance, he's going to somehow get them to that point. Now, what they do with that remains to be seen. 
And this reminds me of John's baptism. Wasn't John's baptism focused on repentance in his day? Exactly. Exactly, precisely focused on repentance. There are two parts. There's the repentance, and then there's the remission of sins. And what what Paul Washer was saying in that previous soundbite, again, going back to Mars Hill, the Apostle Paul says, God is now declaring to all men that all, all men everywhere should repent. Repentance is always acceptable and always appropriate for all men all the time. That's a good point. But not all men are called. Doesn't mean all men shouldn't repent, and it's not appropriate for them to repent, but not all men are called to be footstep followers of Jesus. Why? Well, this next scripture shows us the future application of salvation for the world contrasted to the application of salvation to believers now. 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12. This is important. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Okay, aliens and strangers. What is he telling us about living in this world? Well, we're not, we're not a part of it. Yes. <laughs> because following in Christ is the opposite of worldly living. Yes, exactly. You're not supposed to be following in the footsteps of the world in which you live. You're supposed to be living differently. How? Verse 12. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the things in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Okay, that's a beautiful text. Because, first of all, you live as strangers and aliens. Secondly, your behavior should be godly, so that those, right, so those around you will honor God. When? But but not now, though. Later, at the day of visitation. So their honoring of God comes later. Their opportunity for salvation comes later. So is now the day of salvation. There certainly seems to be a lot of evidence that says now is a great day of salvation, but there is another day to follow. Now, how do you harmonize that? We'll get to that scripture in a minute. One more scripture, I promise, and then we'll get to it, okay? All right. Okay, now we're going to see that our reconciliation is present, and the world's reconciliation is still being prepared. That's what the next scripture is, and then I promise we're going to get to that scripture about the day of salvation. 2 Corinthians five eighteen and 19. Now, all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself Aha. through Christ. See, see that? See, just, just stop right there. This is exciting. He reconciled us through Christ. Go ahead. To himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So we have been reconciled, and Christ is reconciling the world to himself. That is the plan and process. Rick, this is the good news of the gospel. That's right. That is the good news. The ministry of reconciliation is the good news. What is the good news? The good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ came and gave his life as a ransom for all mankind, no matter who you are, no matter when you lived, no matter what your circumstances, what your belief, that ransom price touched you, and you will have an opportunity. But when is now the day 
of salvation. Jonathan, let's get to your scripture finally. All right. Second okay. Corinthians 6, 1 and 2. We also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain, for he says, at the acceptable time, I listened to you, and on the day of salvation, I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. All right. So, Rick, <laughs> is now the time. Well, that certainly is what that scripture says, isn't it? Yeah, over and over. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah you're right. <laughs> so, you know, we're, we're harping on the idea that salvation has two different aspects and two different time frames. And now you, you drop this scripture that says, unequivocally, now is the day of salvation. Now is the day of salvation. So how do you get out of that one? You don't have to. What we need to realize, Jonathan, is this scripture is quoting an Old Testament prophecy. That's right, that's right. Isaiah. Yes, and it is is a supposed to be, and I'm going to put little air quotes here now, it is supposed to be a word-for-word quote from Isaiah. Let's read the original Isaiah text and see if there's any differences. Because remember, this says in 2 Corinthians 6, 2, Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So let's look. Uh, so, so what's the question? So is now the time? No, it's not. It's not the time. Let's look at Isaiah to prove that. Isaiah 49, verse 8. Listen really carefully. Thus says the Lord, In a favorable time I have answered you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you, and I will keep you and give you for a covenant of the people to restore the land, to make them inherit the desolate heritages. Okay. Thus says the Lord, in a favorable time. I've answered you. That's right. In A, not in the... Okay, and and read on. Read it again. The second part there. And in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Okay. In a day of salvation. So the thought of the Isaiah scripture, the origin of the quote, is that this is a favorable time, and a day of salvation, but it doesn't limit that day as being the only one. Good point. I I didn't make it. Isaiah did. I'm just repeating what he said. See, this is why Scripture in context is so incredibly important. So now when we go back to Romans 5, where we started our segment, and we see all of the aspects of salvation, and there's two parts, and, 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 and they're, 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 they have different, different end results and, and, and different processes, and then we see that God wants all men to repent, but it's not now because he's blinded their eyes, and you see, and you see oh, how can that all be? Well, Isaiah, in its original form, is saying it's a day of salvation and not necessarily the only day. Jonathan, this is enormous. That's huge. Yes, and that is, honestly and truly, that is a translational error. That's just translating poorly from the Old Testament to the New. That's exactly what we... Read Isaiah. You can look at the Hebrew. 
read it and see how clear it stands. So what's our solving salvation point for this segment? Now is a day of salvation for the called, but the world's day of salvation is coming. Okay. Wow. This sure is different than what most of us are used to hearing, and there are many scriptures to prove it. So what is the relationship between those saved now and later? How does judgment work for both? We have a simple yet powerful request for you. Can you think of someone who'd enjoy listening to this podcast? Send them a text message right now. Tell them to check out our Christian Questions podcast. That's one of the great ways to spread the word. Thank you for sharing our weekly conversation with every single person you know. Well, who you want to tell is still up to you. Thanks for texting and listening. Let's go back to Rick and Jonathan as we take a closer look at our topic. We'll find that there is an amazing mixture of justice and mercy in both groups to which salvation applies. For those saved now, they are tested and tried under adverse conditions, just as Jesus was, and they are rewarded accordingly. For those saved later, their testing comes under cleaner conditions, and they are also rewarded appropriately. Jonathan, salvation was meant for every human being, because every human being was subject to the sin of Adam. It's really that simple. Now, go ahead. A father's loving plan would, would provide for his human family in such an amazing way because of love. I mean, it is a perfect plan. And, and you know, and it's not just gushy love. <laughs> <laughs> it is no. just. Oh, true. Perfect man for perfect man. There's the balancing of the perfect balancing of justice, and everybody who suffered as a result of that first transgression has the opportunity as a result of the one who saved us from that death that didn't have any resurrection. It is loving and just and wise and merciful. It is powerful. It is everything that God stands for. Amen. And everybody's a part of it. Now, let's give you one more perspective uh, on salvation. And this one's very different than what we believe. But again, out of respect, we wanted to just give you a, a, a look, if you will, at, at others' beliefs. This is from um, um, Mormon.org, Our Heavenly Father's Plan. We'd like to tell you that there is a purpose to your life. We call it God's plan of salvation or the great plan of happiness. Let's start with the first question. Where did we come from? We lived with God as spirits before we came to earth. We call this our pre-mortal life. God, our heavenly father, is the father of our spirits. We are all brothers and sisters and part of his family. Next, we came here to earth. So why are we here? Coming here was part of God's plan of happiness. First, we came to get a physical body. When we came to this world, our spirit joined together with the body. To experience all the joy that Heavenly Father wants us to have, we need to have a physical body. We are also here to gain experience that we could not obtain in any other way. This would include being tested by making choices. If we continually make good choices, we can prepare to live with God again. So, God's plan for us here on earth is fairly simple to find happiness by gaining experience 
getting a body, and by proving ourselves to him. Okay, so that's a little different, huh? Oh, that is very different. I never knew that that, that was their perspective. Yeah, so, and, and this is certainly not something that we ascribe to, but again, from a respectful standpoint, salvation, the, the message we're trying to give you folks is that salvation is interpreted in such a wide variety of ways that to try to find what the scriptures actually teach means you got to just walk away from a lot of the, 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 the things, the, the traditions and the denominational thinking and say, what do the scriptures say in the entirety of the scriptures? Not one verse here or there, but what do we have as scriptural themes that we can put together and understand how this all works? So let's, Jonathan, let's just go over again the idea of salvation for the called out ones. It's interesting. Jesus gave fair warning about what the life of his true disciples would look like. He gave us that warning in Luke nine twenty two and 23 saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. And he was saying to them all, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So, you know, this is interesting, Jonathan, because Jesus is very specific. If you want to come after me, after Jesus, deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. For us, those are just kind of, you know, words that mean, okay, it's going to be a tough road. But for somebody living in Jesus' time under Roman rule, what, 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 what's their thinking when they hear the phrase, take up your cross? Oh, wow. With that context, Rick, you're, you're walking to death. And, and a cruel cross, and a death of agony in following in Jesus' footsteps. That's so, serious. It is, it is. And, and you've got to realize that the context of those scriptures for those days, when they heard him say, take up your cross, they were saying, take up ignominy and, and, and uh, embarrassment and torment and torture and, and, a, and the hideousness of pain that you can't even imagine. And, and why would Jesus say that? To warn them that following him is not, you know, a, a trip down Broadway. It is something that is difficult. He gave us fair warning. And the interesting thing, Jonathan, is the entire New Testament follows through on that warning with encouragement and promise. It says, okay, let's take that warning and let's encourage you to be strong. Now, Jesus is using hard, strong language. And and, 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 and and the New Testament builds on that, but it also gives us a sense of the practicality of it. Let's look at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So here, the, these verses are really, really very clear talking about offering your body as a living sacrifice. I mean, you look at the cross and you look at a living sacrifice, like, whoa, which, which one's better? It's like, you know, those are two very harsh things. But, you know, the apostle continues and says, look, this is, this, is a, 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 this is reasonable because you're following Jesus, and the reward is beyond earthly comprehension. And no, we did not live with God as spirits beforehand. We were born 
from the earth. That's the beginning of our human, of, of our lives, period. You know, the scriptures do not at all support that previous view that we had mentioned. So, Jonathan, here, it's a life of sacrifice. And this is all for a really important purpose. Why does Jesus make it so hard to follow him? Why are the requirements so difficult and so deep and so profoundly uh, challenging to us? Because to work with Jesus in a practical aspect of salvation, that's why. Second, First Peter 2.9, and then this, we quote this verse a lot. This is an amazing verse. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So, Jonathan, you read that verse, and you see a lot of different descriptions. That, that's right. And when, when Peter was talking, he wasn't talking just to the Jews. He was talking to the converted Gentiles as well. He, he's, he's saying, you were chosen for a specific reason, and... If you are faithful to that calling, you'll be priesthoods. You will be helpful to Christ in the day of judgment, the day of visitation. Uh, you'll be a holy people. You'll be a possession in heaven for God. What? That, that is huge, Rick. And, and that's why it's such a hard road. Because the, the, the loftiness of the grace that's on the other side is beyond anything that you or I could ever, 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 ever deserve. And yet, by grace, it's, it's offered if we walk in, in lockstep with Jesus to the best of our imperfect human abilities. A chosen race, a royal priesthood. A priesthood has to be administering to somebody, a holy nation. Again, as an example, a people for God's own possession. You are different than the rest. This is what the first aspect of salvation is. Salvation, saved from a death without resurrection and brought to that. That's incredible stuff. So now let's focus on the world's salvation. Jesus gave them warning, fair warning as well, about the difficulty they would face. Let's look at John 5, 28 and 29. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in their tombs will hear his voice and will come forth those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life, and those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. Okay, good deeds, resurrection of life, that's the called out ones. Again, we've got the two, two categories, evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. And you say, aha, that's where they're going to get theirs. That's where it's going to come to them. Well, let's think about that. Let's look at that judgment through the eyes of, of the Apostle Peter in Second Peter chapter 2, Verse 9. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to rescue the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. Okay, that makes it even worse. Like, okay, the day of judgment, and they're going to get punished. They're going to get theirs. Let's understand what this all means. So the, the day of judgment, first of all, when it says resurrection of judgment, it's using the exact same word as the day of judgment here. Okay. What is that word? What does that word mean? Well, Rick, it means a separating, a sundering, a separation, a trial, um, a contest, basically, some of the, the definitions. Okay, a trial, a time of trying, okay? It's not a final stamp of approval or disapproval. It is a time of trying. It's a time of separating. That's what it is. That's not—see, judgment can be both of those things. It can be the final end result— or it can be the process 
and it's the day of the process of proving. That's what it is. But it says, ah, to be punished. But what does punished actually mean in this verse? Well, Rick, this is interesting. It means to lop or prune as trees and wings, to curb, check, or restrain. And based on that definition, after the world's resurrected, it makes total sense to me that God would lop the wings or curb humanity and restrain them because they're going to be resurrected, Rick, in the same way that they died with, with um, evil tendencies, uh, with who they were and what they experienced. They need to kind of be held back so that they can learn. It, it just made so much sense. It does. So it, to, to be punished really means to be controlled. Yes. To be reined in so they have true opportunity. Salvation will be enacted by walking the world through accountability so that they will be able to stand before God forever on their own merits of learned and accepted righteousness all because of Jesus. See, Jesus can never be taken out of the equation. It's all because of Jesus, but that's how it works. Now, here's the thing, Jonathan. You know, we're, we're going to begin to wrap this up, but before we do, I just want to re-mention Many scriptures seem to talk about now being the time where all men are called to repent. And there are several scriptures that say that. And folks, we'd encourage you, take a look at Seek Your Rewind, the full edition, the bonus material. There's several scriptures in that bonus material that talk about those, those instances. And here's the thing. We mentioned this before, but we've got to mention it again. Repentance is always appropriate. But just because you are called to repent doesn't mean you're called to follow Jesus. Two different things. Repentance is always appropriate because we offend God with our sins. It's always appropriate to try not to offend God, okay? But everybody is not called to that higher calling. So it is appropriate in this world, in this time, for everybody to be have a repentant heart. But that repentance and the remission, the taking away of the sins, does happen now for the called out ones but it happens later. It happens later for the rest of the world. And that's why they're on the road to destruction. Their resurrection is the beginning of the remission of their sins. God clearly shows us through prophecy that the rules will go from inheriting generational sins to being fully accountable for past and personal sins. Now, the prophecy we're going to read was actually focused on Israel's restoration, but has a larger application to the rest of the world. Jeremiah 31, 29 to 30, and these verses are future application to how God will make them accountable. In those days, they will not say again, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge, but everyone will die for his own iniquity. Each man who eats the sour grapes, his teeth will be set on edge. So that's a verse that gives you a sense that in the world we live in, it's not fair. <laughs> you know, how many times do you hear people say that? It's not fair. And it's not. It never is. And this scripture is acknowledging the world you live in is not fair. But it's saying in those days, it's going to be everyone will die for his own iniquity. Each man who eats the sour grapes, his teeth will be set on edge, meaning he will suffer the consequences of his own personal decisions because Adamic sin and transgression will be removed at that point. So that's a powerful, powerful place for us to look here. Um, next, next verse, Jonathan. Uh, first of all, this, this is the personal accountability 
um, that Jesus provided for the world instead of automatic death. See, Jesus removed that. Go back to the Romans 5 scriptures. He removed that. Here is what salvation brings, Isaiah eleven nine. They will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's a whole different picture, isn't it? Oh, yes. That's a beautiful picture. You know, and what that does is it gives us a sense that there comes a time in the future that when the earth is full of the knowledge of the Lord. How many places in the world can you truly find the real knowledge of God right now? How many? Very few. (laughs) It's tiny. It's hidden. And frankly, it's politically incorrect. So where do you go? It's like it's impossible. Well, no, not impossible, just very improbable at this point. But later, the earth will be full of the knowledge of God as the waters cover the sea. What's our solving salvation point as we wrap this up? Salvation for Christians is a major stepping stone to salvation for the world. Biblical salvation truly gives all opportunity and grace. Okay, so Jonathan, as we wrap this up, it's really important to realize that salvation does come in two parts. We are saved from death that has no resurrection. Those who follow after Christ live a life of sacrifice, and their salvation occurs in this present life, and they are given a wonderful, wonderful reward. For everybody else, it is still appropriate to repent from sins. It is still always appropriate always appropriate to believe in Jesus, even if you're not called to follow him, but to believe in him and to um, take the principles of what he taught and apply them to your life, even if you're not called. That will give you a better life and, frankly, a better head start in that future day of salvation for the rest of the world. The called-out ones will be helping the rest of the world come to their full ability for salvation later on. It is a beautiful, beautiful story. That, my friends, is what salvation in the scriptures really is. For Jonathan, Rick, and Christian Questions, we hope you've enjoyed being with us today. We've certainly enjoyed talking to you about a powerful and complex subject that covers all of us. What does it mean to be saved? Everything for everybody. Think about it. Folks, listen, we really do want to hear from you. Give us your feedback or send us your questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our program is subscribing to Christian Questions in iTunes or Google Play or Stitcher or whatever your favorite podcast channel is. Rate us and review us. We greatly appreciate it. And coming up next week, we'll be talking about what do the Old Testament faithful teach us here and now? The Old Testament, the Josephs and the Daniels and the Abrahams and the Moseses. What do they teach us that we can take and work with? Talk to you next week.